coming up on Life is a Festival. I think there is something to be said about Feel It to Heal It. You know, I think that's a really true statement of how I've seen the healing work of just super deep repressed emotional states that there was no space for, like primitive rage that, you know, didn't get expressed or, or shame states that I think the psychedelics are, are masterful at, at helping us get to those places and when they're done in a guided way. But the, the sense of like, I'm tapping out if I go to medications, I think that's really like a, like a false dichotomy in the sense of like, it is true what you said with the trauma work. You do need these windows of rest, of people call it like the window of tolerance to go into those release states and then come back and find inner resourcing, inner grounding, finding peace and, and self-regulation again, being okay with re- relearning how to be in your body with that. And there's no reason why you couldn't use medications in between those. And from my experience, what I've seen, anything somebody like, quote unquote, like dumps in a psychedelic session in terms of like a trauma dump or like just a big emotional catharsis release, going on medication, I've never seen it like undo the, the progress or the gains that were, were made from, from that. My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness— in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Oh, my friends, it's February. We're getting through this dark winter, and we're all really going through it. Have you noticed how when you call someone because you're struggling, and then you realize like they're struggling, and, and often like helping them kind of helps you, but you're still just both kind of in it. it. Just seems like we're all really in it during this difficult pandemic winter. I know I have been. A little while ago, maybe like two weeks ago, it, it was pretty bad. The anxiety was pretty all-consuming. And so I called up a friend of mine, Dr. Joseph Barsulia, who has actually been on the show back in episode 41. And I called Joseph to say, what do I do with what feels like a protracted initiation. This experience of this ongoing disturbance, which feels like it could be healing, but it also feels like it could just be looping in kind of a mental health crisis. And of course I called Joseph because Joseph is a neuropsychologist and he's a very well-regarded Iboga and 5-MeO-DMT integration facilitator. Joseph and I also initiated in the same village in Gabon with the plant medicine iboga through the Buiti tradition, which is a religion, a tradition, a ritualistic way of life in Western equatorial Africa. So I called Joseph because I knew that he would know what I don't know about my experience. And of course, he did not disappoint. It was an incredible conversation. And it was so powerful for me that I actually decided to followed up with a call the next day with some of what we learned and discussed as a podcast for you. Because I feel like maybe you're going through it too. 
And the centerpiece of the conversation is, if we're on this plant medicine path, if we're experiencing the spiritual emergence, we feel like we're healing, at what point is it appropriate to consider psychotropic medication? You know, maybe all this depression and anxiety and difficulty, maybe there's, there's some refuge or solace to be found there. So that was the question that I opened with. So on the show today, we discuss initiation and we do it through the lens of Bwiti ritual. And then we get into the meat of it, meds or plant medicine. Um, we talk about how to understand being in the liminal space of transformation and the kind of phasic quality that trauma can have where the intensity sort of rolls in waves and how to know when it's complete and we can kind of like move on. Um, and finally, we go over some suggestions from Joseph about other ways to find refuge and solace in difficult times. So Joseph is the former director of clinical assessment and research at Crossroads Treatment Center. And former because, of course, Crossroads is no longer in operation. Um, he is trained with MAPS, and he is also initiated in the Bwiti tradition. He advises on psychedelic medicine and alternative healthcare. And he first appeared on this podcast with his partner, Trisha Eastman, on episode 41, Iboga, the Mount Everest of psychedelics. And I'm honored to call him my friend. I really think you're going to appreciate his wisdom. And more than anything, the conversation I had with him, both prior to this podcast and on this podcast, really gave me confidence in trusting myself and my own transformation. I hope it does the same for you. Oh, and before I forget, one last note. I've been running this survey, which if you listen to the show, you probably know I'm running a survey. I'm trying to get more feedback from the audience. So if you haven't checked that out, I would love your feedback. It's at bit.ly, it's bit.ly slash festival dash survey. Your feedback means the world to me because I'm trying to make a better show. Oh, and you know, one other thing, are y'all on Clubhouse? So Life is a Festival has a club on Clubhouse. It's only available for iPhone and you do need an invitation, but you can message me and I will give you an invitation. You can find me on Instagram at Eamon Armstrong. We're doing a weekly Life is a Festival club where I invite some of the guests on the show to come talk and then you can jump on and talk and ask questions. I'll be publishing some of those to the main pod, but that's at currently at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the new audio app clubhouse. So see you there. And now here's Dr. Joseph Barsulia. Joseph, my friend, welcome back to Life is a Festival. You were on the show with Trisha Eastman a little over a year ago when we did a deep dive on Iboga, one of our most popular episodes. People want to know about Iboga. Now that there's all this mainstreaming of psychedelics, people want to know about that queer little West African root bark that (laughs) takes you on the the deep dive. So, And of course, we'll talk about Iboga today. But the reason we're here is that I reached out to you as one of the members of my personal community, the broader psychedelic community, to help me kind of figure out where I'm at with a personal initiation, spiritual emergence, just challenges in my life. And so we had a conversation yesterday and Mm -hmm. we are not publishing that because it was very personal about me and I don't think it would be that interesting necessarily to our audience. But there were a lot of really beautiful 
universalities that came out of that, things that I think are really helpful for lots of people who may find themselves to some degree where I'm at or you know, in our kind of global initiation through COVID that we're all kind of experiencing and the, the loneliness and the alienation. I just felt like there was so much that we spoke about that would be really valuable for the listeners of the show and the broader psychedelic and festival communities that I just wanted to have you on and, and do a deep dive. So Joseph, thank you for coming back on Life is a Festival. Thank you, Eamon. Yeah, really happy to be here with you. And um, yeah, potent conversation, potent time that we're in right now. And yeah, excited to, to dive in. And just before we start, I just want to, on the record, I think it was so sweet at the end of our call when I tried to pay you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you get paid to do this. You get like, so, and you're like, no, I'm, you're my friend. Like, I'm happy to help you. And it was, you know, it was really sweet and it really like, it meant a lot to me. And everything you shared yesterday was extraordinarily helpful, not just in the knowledge you shared and the perspectives, but also just in the confidence that like, I'm okay. I'm going through a thing. It's not so dramatic. It's not this black and white. Has mm-hmm. to be this, can't be that. And so I'm yeah. grateful for that. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes, happy to help you. Yeah, you're my friend. We're a tribe. We're in, we're in it together. We're in the ship. We, we might, <laughs> we're, we're in the potential, possibly leaky <laughs> ship. Yeah. Um, okay, so to start the show, when you, when you first came on Life is a Festival, we didn't do that much of a dive into your, into your bio. Now, we talked about how you were the Director of Clinical Assessment and Research at Crossroads Treatment Center, and that's an Ibo, was, was an Ibogaine treatment center in Mexico. But we didn't get too much into your own personal experience with initiation, your aboga experiences at the Aboga Wellness Center in Costa Rica, and then in Gabon, where you and I both initiated with the Tombs lineage, with the Buiti people there. Mm-hmm. And we didn't bring up at all the fact that actually prior to these psychedelic deep dives, you were a Christian pastor, which yes. um, I was surprised, and then I wasn't surprised. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. I don't know too many, too many of us pastors that are you know, in the psychedelic space. So yeah, it's a fun connection, and I look forward to bridging that for it was challenging to bridge it for myself and to help other people bridge. Well, and I'm sure in our conversation of Dark Nights of the Soul, that aspect will come up as well. But Indeed. you know, where I'd like to start is you are a PhD psychologist with an emphasis on neuropsychology. And I think that's actually kind of relevant to what we're talking about today. So I was just curious if just as a way of kicking us off, what is the difference between neuropsychology and other types of psychology? That's a great question. Yeah, I would say neuropsychology is more about cognitive functioning, the brain. Any psychologist who trains in neuropsychology, they usually train in a lot of assessment, like IQ assessments, personality assessments. And it ends up being more kind of uh, medical health psychology focused. So I did a lot of my training in actually like in neurology clinics, like people that would have, for example, like brain injury or dementia or Parkinson's or something like this and looking at what are the psychological issues that are showing up and then also like the cognitive issues that are showing up. So neuropsychologists get to administer a lot of fun kind of bedside memory tests or visual perceptual tests and then kind of integrate that usually into like a a medical assessment with a team of doctors. So I went really deep down that and did my my postdoctoral fellowship in neuropsychology and brain aging. And 
that's really fun because you get to really look at structural brain assessments, like functional or structural neuroimaging, like MRIs, things like that, and then give people these kind of bedside tests, memory tests, verbal memory, visual memory, language tests, and then see, okay, how does what's happening subjectively or behaviorally connect to what's happening with the brain? So it's it's a really cool kind of intersection between like brain and and behavior. And I would say in comparison to classical you know, psychology, it's like less focused maybe on psychotherapy and more focused on, on yeah, brain function. And, and does your background in neuropsychology help you assess the experience of a client or patient who is having a spiritual emergence or through psychedelics, someone who's experiencing strange cognitive experiences in the context of deep psychedelic work or other kind of ego dissolution work. Did that training prepare you for that? Or is that something that you experienced more when you were working at Crossroads in Mexico? Yeah, it's an interesting kind of conundrum. I I feel like a lot of neuropsychology and classical psychology have been a bit more like materialist, kind of rationalist in the understanding. So you don't see a lot of neuropsychologists speaking about kind of the validity of spiritual experiences or consciousness. Things are shifting now, but a lot of neuropsychology came out of like neurology. And so a lot of spiritual experiences or spiritual emergence might be seen more as psychosis or (laughs) excess dopamine or something like that. So I didn't really receive a lot from that tradition in terms of how to approach or interpret some of the things that come through with plant medicine or psychedelic experiences, but it does really help when people are having spiritual emergence or these initiatory experiences. And there's really an overlay of, of everything of mind, body, spirit. And so there can be times where someone's going through a spiritual emergence and it's also like a little bit of mania or is it fully mania or is it fully spiritual? And how do we kind of discern kind of the intersection between these things. So I would say with my training in neuropsychology, it really helped me from an assessment standpoint. One of the things that you do in neuropsychology is you spend like sometimes six to eight hours with someone with just interviewing and different assessment measures and questionnaires. And I I think that kind of like robust, in-depth kind of just analysis and and looking at the full comprehensive picture that's that's really helped me I think because in in the mental health field a lot of psychiatrists are only spending you know 30 minutes with somebody and so you can't really fully contextualize the complexity of what's happening with someone like even the conversation we had yesterday like there's so many so many layers to it and so I think it, it did really help me in that way um, helped me with like understanding generational, patterns, genetic patterns. So I like to use that as one tool, like in my, my tool belt, but, but it's, I find it kind of limiting as a global heuristic for like the human experience or the psychedelic experience. So what are some of the other tools in your tool belt? I would say, you know, I, I started off, like you mentioned as a pastor and from when I was when I was young, I started having mystical experiences, just like encounters with with spirits and just the other realm and things that felt otherworldly or kind of mystical. And that led me into a really deep kind of journey into my own Christian faith, which 
led me into more kind of early Christian mysticism and and the monastic traditions within Christianity, the Gnostic traditions as well. And so I would say my my main lens is from a kind of a soul lens, like viewing viewing us fundamentally as spirits or souls in a body. And if we have that kind of view, what does that mean for what's coming up in the present moment with what's coming up with an emotional crisis or a personal transformation or even symptoms of depression, anxiety, or PTSD? What does that mean if we're on a, if we are on a spiritual path or a journey or, or this is a, a learning experience from a, a spiritual lens? So I've always viewed reality as uh, mystical and interconnected. So that I didn't get from my psychological training, although there's some people like Jung or something like that that might might bring in some of that. <clears throat> I would say in my training, I really resonated with a lot of trauma psychology, attachment psychology. I loved, one of my favorite authors was Alan Shore, who was a UCLA professor that bridged a lot of contemporary psychoanalysis with neurobiology and talked about pre-verbal infant level trauma experiences and how those match onto our relational life and early caregiver experiences, how those influence how we feel in our own bodies, how we relate to other people's bodies, how we how we are situated and feeling safe. And so I, I really like that convergence of attachment and and brain neuroscience. And then the psychedelic realm, I mean that's a whole nother kind of universe of understanding and really informed a lot by like Stan Groff. And for me, Bwiti and Iboga has been really, Iboga and Bwiti have been like my primary initiatic path and, and university. And so that really informs my psychotherapy, how I live my life, how I help clients. Well, you know, I want to get right into the Iboga Bwiti chat. Um, I think for the sake of our listeners who may not be familiar, can you explain what the Bwiti tradition is and how it relates to some of these mystical themes? And and perhaps you just kind of alluded to the idea that, that Bwiti and the plant medicine of Boga have been significant in your understanding of mysticism in the world. What is it about the Bwiti tradition that has been so impactful for you? Yeah. Well, I would just start off with a caveat saying like I'm, I'm a young young Jedi in Bwiti, very kind of new in the path. Um, with that said, it's been profoundly informative and, and beautiful. I see it as Bwiti is like the study of life. It's like, it's really about direct experience. And they often say in contrast to some of the colonial Catholic or Christian influences in Africa, they say like, you're here to talk to us about God. We're, we eat the plant and meet God, you know, so it's about that direct kind of first, firsthand experience. And it's really about having your own encounter, your own initiation to meet the fullness of who you are, to, to connect with your soul, to know yourself as situated amongst a whole beautiful support of your ancestors in, in this life, in this, in this lifetime to have that, that bridge of communication activated with you and your ancestors to assist you in your in your lifetime. And with with Bwiti being about the, the study of life, it's beautiful in terms of ritual, of ceremony, 
they have a profound understanding of of life, of death, of rebirth, of of celebration, of community, of connection with with plants and with with nature. It's you know birth out of the the navel of Western you know Central Africa and deep it comes from the pygmies. So it, you don't get more kind of in the jungle than that. And so it's been something that if you look it up, it's considered like a, a cult actually. And one of the rules in Bwiti is you, you don't write books about Bwiti. And so you don't, if you try to find books about Bwiti, you, you see very few. And the ones that you do see written are usually by Frenchmen or people from France or Europe that have come in and, and studied. So in, in Bwiti, it's a celebration with, with music. Like the songs are really a central part of Bwiti. So in villages, people are always swapping songs, learning songs. And they, they do have a, a spiritual understanding of, of the universe, of, of the cosmic story. Like in our village that you and I went to, they, you know, they even have kind of these little, little artistic kind of depictions of maybe the, the cosmic story of humanity and kind of where we're going and how, how Iboga may have been connected to the first people groups in, in the Garden of Eden, according to that kind of narrative. And with Bwiti, with Iboga, it's very common for people to be focused on connecting to your higher self, to what in our village they call the Mumbayano, which is kind of like the intersection of like your higher self, your kundalini energy in your body, and your divine connection with, with source or with God. And so that's, that's part of it in that tradition. That's, that's more of a feminine tradition, the Desumba, Desumba Fang. With the Misoko, they're less like, they might speak less about God or higher self and more just about kind of like more on an animistic level, more about the here and now, definitely about your soul and having a spiritual understanding, but less like maybe um, celestial or something of an understanding. And, and just to locate our, our audience with you and your journey, did you initiate with both of those two traditions? So no, I haven't been initiated in Misoko. I've done a pre pre initiation in Misoko, which basically means like one of one of my teachers, whose name is Nzambe Devenga, he he's been initiated in, in many traditions, and I did like pre initiatory work for Misoko, but I haven't been in, initiated in Africa and that that tradition, but was initiated in the tombs lineage, which is more yeah, Desumba Fong, and, and you uh, and you got the you got the Mumbaiano chamber like I did. No, I did a different. So I did a I did Mumbaiano actually in Costa Rica with one of Atum's initiates, but I didn't do the Mumbaiano chamber in Africa. In Africa, I did one called Biyem, which is a different. They have they have three chambers that I I know of in the village, and that, this was a different one. And we're not supposed to talk too much about it, but I could say simply like the the Biyem chapter that chamber is more about like kind of cosmic understanding, like planetary understanding, less like personal, like less of a personal journey to meet yourself or your soul and more about like connecting to the the planetary story and the planetary timeline of, of what's happening and situating yourself in that broader kind of cosmic understanding. So let's talk about initiation generally. And I know we're going to keep dipping back into uh, Bwiti. Now, of course, as you know, because we've discussed this at length, I went to Gabon in 2018 and I initiated with the Bwiti in part 
with a desire for personal transformation to move from one stage in my life into another. And I actually don't feel like I completed that initiation or perhaps I'm not thinking about it correctly. I'm wondering about initiation broadly, how we know when we've entered into initiatory period, how we know when we've completed it. And it seems that with plant medicine journeys in the West, these are a lot of self-authored initiations. Mm-hmm. You know, we discover plant medicine going for our personal healing and there appears to be a risk and this is a big concern of mine that there's a kind of never-ending navel-gazing spiritual path of healing where we sort of get lost in the fireworks and the show and all that kind of stuff and and trying to get at that deeper material but that that's not the same as an initiation because a proper initiation is entering into a liminal space for whatever period of time and then leaving that space and stepping into new responsibility. So I'd love to talk a bit about initiation in the context of plant medicine with an ear to how this affects people who are exploring plant medicine in the West. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really essential because historically these things were the the gems and the center point of, of, of initiation. So that was their proper context. And so... Now we have access to all these master plant medicines and, you know, I'm in Los Angeles and people are, you know, chugging ayahuasca every weekend <laughs> and, and it can be for better or for worse. But the, the, the initiatory context is like maybe what we would sort of connect with set and setting or really the, the proper container to go through an experience like this. And I think an initiation perhaps by definition is something that's like, kind of done to you, like you, you surrender to it and it's like forces outside of yourself that are helping you progress and refining you and growing you in a way that you couldn't otherwise do on your own or you couldn't like self-generate your, your own initiation. I think we can, we can put ourselves in conditions that initiate us or, or grow us or catalyze these big breakthroughs. But the beauty of, for example, in Buiti, it's so so thoughtful it's so there's such a, a preparatory sequence that's done with with natural elements with with water with ritualistic bathing with what with what my teacher calls and which I agree it's like really psychomagic which is like physical rituals designed to connect to your subconscious mind and help you make form out of kind of the unhealed parts of yourself or the parts of yourself that need wholeness or the parts of yourself that need to mature and grow. And in that culture, the initiation happens really young. I mean, first of all, they're like, you know, feeding little kids iboga, which also happens perhaps in the Amazon with ayahuasca, but there, there's no like separation between age in terms of like, um, access to the tradition or the the ritual or the medicine. But then there is a proper initiation, which happens, can happen very young, you know, anywhere from like seven to 15 years old. And this is the time where, where you're leaving behind the old, you're stepping into your, your self identity. And I think a lot of the suffering that we have in, in the West in terms of like unhealed developmental trauma, I think a lot of that historically is what would be worked through in in an initiation as a teenager 
so this is like right on the money for like the work that I'm doing. And mm-hmm. so many conversations I have with people who are on the plant medicine path is people are trying to heal developmental trauma. And yep. we don't have the context of a village setting or a tribal setting where we go through an initiation and we're welcomed back into the tribe as a new person. This healing path is, as I've said, it's self-authored. We're like, okay, I guess now is the time to drink more medicine. And I feel like it can lead to protracted periods of heightened sensitivity and trauma moving through the system at a pace that is not Uh, compatible with our modern lives. And where I found myself is really over a couple of years, I feel like I'm shaking out developmental trauma out of my body. And the conversation that we had yesterday was like, okay, how do I know if I'm moving through this, if I'm coming up with deeper stuff to then move through, or if I'm on some kind of just loop where I'm kind of re-traumatizing myself or some kind of like mental illness, I feel like with an initiation that is held in the setting of community, you can move through that experience and sort of come out the other side with an understanding that you've been through something so you know that you have been able to meet it and then the village sees you as being able to meet your challenges and you kind of step into a new role. And so I guess part of what I'm looking at is can we take the frame of initiation to provide more understanding and context of these transformative journeys or these spiritual emergences that are happening in these kind of like longer periods in our Western experience. Yes. Yeah. I think we're, we're messed up in the West in, in a sense because of being in, in little boxes, being disconnected, really only having a masculine, feminine, or a father-mother template embedded by, by two people in a nuclear family. And just by nature of being in a village, if you have, you know, 30 dads or 30 dads and 10 uncles, you have a different template of what, what it means to be seen by the masculine or be seen by, by the father or by the mother and what, how those get internalized. And so, yeah, I mean, I've seen people do 5-MEO or MDMA or Iboga that are in their 60s, 70s, and you know they're still still shaking out trauma from from being very young. And I think that's beautiful, and that's part of how the medicines heal. And I think people in Africa also have developmental trauma, so it's not like if you if you're in an initiatic tradition in a village that you you've healed your developmental trauma or something like that. But I think the the community piece is essential because core to initiation is knowing who you are and part of Bwiti is getting your spiritual name and the name is who who you are in the context of your tribe of your village and like what what did it what is your gift to that is revealed and and kind of like your meaning for for being amongst your tribe or your people and so I think we we don't have that in in the west we don't necessarily have a a way or a context to have a, a big initiatory experience where we kind of dump the pain of the past and whatever has been weighing on us and see who we are in our divinity and, and who we are fully in our kind of fullness and then be able to bring that through. We've, you know, been raised in systems and schools and universities and 
put into programs. And, and we did, there are initiatic rites, you know, like even maybe sports for some people or initiations or camping trips or wilderness excursions or things like that, that we, we do get those needs met. But with, with the potency of the master plants like Iboga or ayahuasca, something like that, we don't, we don't have a really safe container and community to, to hold people through those experiences. And I'm really excited because I feel like that's changing a lot, like even with certain medicine communities or decriminalization, for example, what's happening in Oregon with psilocybin, like I think these are opportunities to create communities for these types of initiatory experiences and really do it right. Like really be able to hold all the sides that are needed. And my, my opinion is like, you need the medical, you need the psychological, you need the spiritual, you need the communal, you need the ceremonial, you need the ritual. And in, in Buiti, the ritual is like kind of like the highest technology, like the ritual is like the guardrails. So things don't, you know, get out of control and you, you, you follow certain guidelines and, and paths. And the other thing about initiations is they're, they're time consuming. So it's not something you can do on a psychiatrist, you know, calendar, like you would injecting people with ketamine or even with 5-MeO-DMT, how that's coming up in the psychedelic space. People think, oh, it's great because it's like you can have a mystical experience in 45 minutes and then, you know, it looks, it, it might work well for, for the financial modeling or something like that. But if anything, the stronger the psychedelic experience, the more kind of support and time you need to really like do it justice. So like in Africa, the minimum time for an initiation would be like, like a week and a half. Usually they're like two weeks or like a month where you're just in it and you're connecting to nature, you're getting support, you're, you're sitting with yourself. And so these are not experiences also that are really amenable to a Western model of needing things to be efficient and timely and cost-effective well, so we are in a climate where we don't have the fabric of community to hold these initiations. And at the same time, we have a lot of wounded people who are seeking mending. And as psychedelics are more mainstream and not just, you know, taking some acid, but like actual ceremonies and connecting to indigenous traditions, people are going to ayahuasca ceremonies. More and more people are doing iboga. And so this kind of brings us to a big part of what I spoke to you about yesterday which is outside of the context of initiation with the framework of those, uh, or the guardrails, as you say, of, of those rituals, we're kind of, we are in this moment sort of left to our own devices. And in a time of global isolation and alienation in a pandemic, I think a lot of people who have been on a spiritual plant medicine path are feeling the intensity and the heating up of some of those initiatory kind of qualities of yes. you know the the intense loneliness the liminality of life I don't know what's going to happen next Charles Eisenstein in the coronation wrote about coronavirus itself as kind of a global initiation and you know a year in I think that it's safe to say that there are certain components of an initiatory experience that are happening, but it's outside of the framework of community. It's outside of the framework of mentorship and guides and the leadership there. For me, I've been thinking a lot lately about the intensity of my experience, how hypersensitive I've been, how long I have been hypersensitive, and whether maybe it's time to try some medication. 
and we spoke about this yesterday, I've had this idea of like, well, if I'm in a spiritual transformation, I have to just keep going as intensely as I can because that's going to create metamorphosis. I've got to heal it and I've got to feel it to heal it. Uh, I love this poem by Nahira Wahid. Um, feel it, that thing you don't want to feel, feel it and be free, right? But I keep feeling it and I'm not free. And part of me is like, maybe I just need to like tap out, stabilize and be, at least for a period of time, an actual productive member of society rather than what can actually be a bit of a self-absorbed healing path of like, oh, it's my healing to heal myself and, you know, I'm stuck in my pain and, and the trauma in my body and it just, you know, how do I know, how does our listener who may be in a similar situation know that they're moving through the work, revealing deeper things that need to be processed, getting through somewhere, or mm-hmm. if they're just in some kind of self-involved loop where they're just kind of torturing themselves? Yeah. I think this is like, in a sense, the question with with where we're at. And right now, everything is so intense on the planet and on every level, like economics, politics, you know, separation, medical anxiety. I mean, we're just we're. I agree with what you said earlier about with what Charles Eisenstein said. Is I think this this does feel like a protracted initiation in some way. I found it helpful to make meaning out of it this way. Um, I think we're kind of forced into a monastic situation, like really just to sit with ourselves for what's been almost a year now. And everything's coming up. And it reminds me in a lot of ways of an Iboga journey because it's just with Iboga, it just feels like, are we done yet? Like this keeps, it just keeps, <laughs> keeps going. You're in it. I remember. It's, it's like relentless. And this, I think this pandemic is relentless and people are, you know, losing it. And, and uh, it's so hard, like it's unprecedented with all the challenges that we have right now. And I think it it requires us to do our own work. And we are, I think I see a lot of people that whether it's personally or in, in marriages or couple situations where you're just in it with your spouse or yourself, a lot of things that wouldn't have otherwise come up are coming up for people. And it is kind of like a cauldron for for transformation. And also it can be just totally unbearable. I mean, the I was just looking up before our call and seeing like there's some in Japan and um, some different surveys, the suicide rates are, you know, seem to be anywhere from 15 to 50% higher through the pandemic. So I think doing initiatory experience, working on your developmental trauma in some ways, it's it's good to do that when you have a bit of stability. Some people, they're, you know, at the precipice of suicide or just extreme emotional suffering and, and you, you do need relief. And that can come through a plant medicine journey. It can also come through medication. And I think the psychedelic community has had somewhat of a reactive stance, I think, because once we see that you know, a lot of maybe psychiatry has not been accurate in terms of like the roots of suffering. Like you have a diagnosis of whatever depression or anxiety, but it, it did stem from a developmental source. Like the, the field of psychotherapy and psychology are gravitating more towards that need to do the excavation work in the body and the deep kind of unprocessed somatic stuff that psychedelics do help us with. 
that being said, like medications can also be, uh, I've seen them to be profoundly life-saving for, for people. And it really depends on kind of the, the manifestation of what's happening. So for something more obvious like uh, schizophrenia or type 1 bipolar disorder, I mean, these are things that plant medicines can't really touch. Perhaps in the future they will be able to with more research and protocols. But I mean, I, I worked in a clinic for many years with people with severe mental illness. And if they go off their risperidone, I mean, it's like game over. I mean, they're like psychotic, naked in the streets, you know? So it's like, th there's a gift to that. Um, and also I think even just people that are healthy that are going through really acute depression or anxiety, there's a point where you just need your system to like calm down. You, you need to have an experience for weeks or months of just feeling not at that level of intensity and being at that level of intensity without medication can really kind of toast your nervous system in your brain, like having panic attacks, going into like subacute mania, manic states, stuff like that. I mean, it can really toast your adrenals. It's it, it can be there's a cost to it, so to to not medicate it can be um, problematic. So I think I kind of like in a way what you're saying about weaving things. What I, I've worked with people that are on psychotropic medications and they 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 need to be because it helps them function they couldn't really function otherwise and then they kind of have a really well-held taper plan to kind of come off the medications and do the deeper dive psychedelic or plant medicine work have a period of integration and then see if they need to go back on or off the, the medication after that and i think i think that's kind of like the, the future in a way and there is an issue with with psychotropics like SSRIs, they do kind of, they constrict your emotional experience and they can block that unlearning of trauma. Tell me about that. Yeah, tell me how they might block the unlearning of trauma. Because I feel like we're, we're, we're all really focused on like, okay, what's my trauma? How do I heal it? I got to mm -hmm. feel it to heal it. And, you know, I know in, in trauma work, there's this kind of titration pendulation thing where you like go into working with the trauma and then you come out of working with the trauma. So there's like, yeah. there's a path of working with it. But how much trauma is there? How do you know when it's out? And if you were to blunt it in some way, the experience of that trauma, are you just temporarily you know, bringing stability and then you can go back to the work? Or are you somehow walking back all the work you've done? I've been operating under this assumption that I just got to like push the trauma baby out of my pregnant belly, right? <laughs> and the more intense the pressure cooker, the more, the close... I'm getting the contractions, like it's coming out, right? And if I tap out in some way, particularly through medication, not only is it going to kind of stop this process, but then I'm going to have to go back through labor again, which to me feels fucking horrible. And I just want it, <laughs> I want it to be over so bad. Get the baby through. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's truth on both sides of that. Like I've seen psychedelics, in particular 5-MeO and Iboga, really. In a, in a powerful, visceral way, show me how much in myself, how much I was holding in my body and, and clients that I've seen. It's like people have no idea kind of how much trauma was under the hood in their body until they have a psychedelic journey like that. And I mean, really just pre-verbal birth trauma, you know, in your, in your navel or in your genitals or, you know, really deep in your, in your gut. And people had no idea what they were 
carrying. And I think the the plant medicines do help us excavate that. And I think in some ways it is like it is like a tumor or cancer or a toxin that needs to be cleared and, and cleansed from the body. And that's another thing we didn't say about initiation, but a lot of it is about it's about purification, self-purification. And I think there is something to be said about feel it to heal it. You know, I think that's a really true statement of how I've seen the healing work of just super deep repressed emotional states that there was no space for like primitive rage that, you know, didn't get expressed or, or shame states that I think the psychedelics are, are masterful at, at helping us get to those places. And when they're done in a guided way, but the, the sense of like, I'm tapping out if I go to medications, I think that's really like a, like a false dichotomy in the sense of like, it is true what you said with the trauma work. You do need these windows of rest of people call it like the window of tolerance to go into those release states and then come back and find inner resourcing, inner grounding, finding peace and, and self-regulation again, being okay with re- relearning how to be in your body with that. And there's no reason why you couldn't use medications in between those. And from my experience, what I've seen, anything somebody like, quote unquote, like dumps in a psychedelic session in terms of like a trauma dump or like just a big emotional catharsis release, going on medication, I've never seen it like undo the the progress or the gains that were, were made from from that. When you say mm-hmm. you've never seen that, do you mean in your work at like Crossroads, when you were working with people doing big iboga work, or is this like clients that you were seeing over time? I'm curious, I want to kind of, for the sake of the listener, kind of ground this into your professional experience with this, because yeah. a lot of us feel so sort of lost. So when you say that you haven't seen those gains be kind of like walked back by the kind of escape to relief of, you know, whether it is medication or another version of kind of tapping out, where have you seen that with folks? So, yeah, so I worked uh, starting in 2015 at Crossroads and that we had two tracks that was with people that had addiction and then also people that were coming and doing the work just for a personal growth or transformation. And that was with using Ibogaine and then 5-MeO-DMT from the toad in a, in a, like a week long protocol. And so I did that for several years and then worked with MAPS, which is the nonprofit doing the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trials. I worked with MAPS for several years. And then since then, I've done just a lot of preparation, integration, coaching with people. So I've worked with a lot of people that are doing all kinds of different medicine work. And so, yeah, what I've seen from from all, all of those, whether it's MDMA, Iboga, 5-MeO, they, if they're prepared really well, if they have the space to integrate really well, they they kind of move the dial, move the needle, you know, in, in a way that typically does not regress. People don't go backwards unless they have some really high level stress afterwards, which, which can kind of sabotage or hijack the process. Um, if people have really acute stress coming out of, out of journeys. Um, but I've only really seen it move people in a in a good way. There are, you know, adverse events or effects that that happen in some people. 5-MeO in particular, there's been people that have had really a hard time after that that medicine because it kind of cracks open Pandora's box and people have had, you know, panic attacks after that. It can kind of just flood be, be too much of a flooding of unprocessed experience too fast. 
But what I've seen people do it in a safe way, in a conservative way, in a thoughtful way, it just seems to help people continue to elevate and and progress in their their healing journey. And then you kind of know, like when you're when you're going through it over time, it's good to think about like, am I feeling more like myself? Do I feel like I'm holding less suffering? Do I feel like my mind is less um, has less of a grip on? kind of my my reality am I more flexible am I more surrendered in life am I more is my heart more open am I more able to receive and and give love as sort of questions that we can ask of if if this work is is helping us in a good way but it it's it's a really cool time for this work because I think it requires a developmental understanding of like what medicines do we go to when and for what purpose and with initiation, you don't just like jump to the mastery level. You you start off in Bwiti as a baby, as a Bonzi. And so you're going to have medicine experiences maybe or have initiatory experiences that are commensurate with where you're at in your, in your process. And I think people can get messed up by, for example, jumping to a 5-MeO DMT without having done any medicine work and just getting overwhelmed um, when they need a more gentle approach, like maybe let's do some... San Pedro, you know, do take a gram of San Pedro and sit on sit on a rock and meditate with the sunset, you know. Um that sounds so nice. That sounds so nice. <laughs> right. I'm not doing medicine work in this moment. I may I may do some combo because I find that to be mm-hmm. quite physical and it's physical yeah. and energetic, but it's not so cosmic and potentially destabilizing. So I'm I'm in a pause at the moment. But San Pedro and meditating on a rock does feel could be kind of kind of chill. Yeah, these are like San Pedro is something that you know it's used and usually in a sequence with ayahuasca to help people kind of come back into the body or really kind of ground and and connect. And I think there are medicines or experiences like that that can be really integrative and not kind of blast you open into the astral realms or the cosmic realms, but really to just connect more with your body and sensation. Yeah, San Pedro is amazing for. I feel like it connects you into like your bones, like into your, into your feet. You know, into your it roots you. That's the reason why I like I like iboga too. I find it it's really at low doses, very very grounding. And I think there's so much that can be done with really low low doses of psychedelics coupled with nature. You know, movement breath work. I think there's so much to be explored and gained and, and you can really offset and mitigate a lot of the the destabilizing effects by by just having lower dose experiences that are that are not so maybe not as mind blowing but are really solidifying and strengthening your your core and your your capacity for presence and your relationship with your own internal experience and um yeah, I think it's it's a very exciting time to to explore all this and it's what this conversation that we're having now is so I love it because I feel like it's so missing and it's really what is needed for the future of this movement because we have all these single molecules being developed through FDA studies and we have this rich indigenous tradition with different medicines but it's not we haven't really found it yet in in the west of how to approach this from um, an initiatory framework and a holistic developmental kind of path of how do we how do we do this how how, how do we help bring people through a process that's really held and brings together all these different wisdom streams 
Well, and and what I see as missing in in that for me. So let me say that for my initiatory path, which I think a lot of people's is, it was actually like partying. You know, mm-hmm. like I went to festivals and I took some MDMA or I took some acid and I had adventures and the adventures kind of revealed unprocessed trauma and revealed like, wow, I'm living a more narrow aperture of life because my system is holding on to things. And then that led to ceremony. But the piece that's missing for me and part of the, where the bullseye I'm trying to get to is when are we done? When is the process that you're referring to over? And I don't mean the process of healing and working with the world as it is, because we, don't, we know that that's the life, that it, that doesn't end. And of course, we're, we're bringing in daily practices, and that doesn't end either. I'm going to meditate in the morning. I'm going to do yoga. I don't, I don't need that to end. But the idea that there's like some big hunks of trauma in my system, and that I'm going through a process of, of reconnecting with things that have been exiled from my consciousness, feeling them and they're very unpleasant, that experience of feeling them being quite destabilizing and the overall process being quite self-focused. You know, like I share through my podcast and there's ways that I support community around me, but the intensity and the totality of the somatic experience of this kind of work gets me kind of stuck in myself. And I'm, I want to pass the threshold into the next space where, yeah, I still have stuff in my body, whatever it is, but there's more like looking out at the world instead of looking in at myself. And when we look at the initiation, when we look at like a traditional indigenous initiation, particularly a rite of passage into adulthood, there's an end period of that initiation where you step back into the tribe as a member of the adult community with an understanding that there are responsibilities that you have that you know you're capable of because of your initiation and the community knows you're capable of because they know that you went through the initiation and that there's very much a stepping into community rather than being the lonesome hero doing your own work in isolation. Mm -hmm. When does it end? And that's the piece that I feel like is missing. And maybe it's because we don't Mm -hmm. have a village context to come back into where we're witnessed as stepping into that. But there's there I believe that there's a threshold that one passes over where the enormity of the experience shifts and we are actually more at our work in the world. Have you passed over a threshold like that? Have you witnessed that? How can people who are on this plant medicine spiritual path locate where they are in the context of stepping into this broader responsibility where some of like the internal noise and craziness has kind of actually properly moved through and allowed one to be present in service to the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really beautiful question. I think like for me, it's about do I know who I am and do I know what I'm here to do? And am I able to do that? Am I able to function? Or is there a level of suffering, burden, trauma that is weighing on me such that I cannot be effective in like being who I am. Questions like, do I feel like there's something from my past constricting me from my capacity to like move freely in the world or just to be happy, to experience pleasure and and bliss. And I think if, if someone is holding something where they feel like blocked in either knowing who they are or being able to bring their gift into the world, then there's more significant work that needs to be done. I think, like in your case, you talked about 
you know, really having this visceral sense in your body, like, man, there's, I'm aware of something in my body that's happening inside me or that's gripping me, that's kind of getting in the way of my capacity to be creative or to, to do my job or to bring forth my gifts. And so I think if there's something inside of you that's limiting that, I think there's more, more work to be done. And that, that work could be taking an antidepressant. That work could be more initiation. That could work could be plant medicines. It could be more somatic work. But I think it needs to be done gently and gracefully and like held. Likely in a, in a tribe situation, you have multiple people that are providing insight and awareness versus just like you coming up with your own kind of program or just like one healer or something telling you what to do. But you would have these kind of multiple lenses like reflecting to you what you need and, and who you are. And so I think there's of course no ceiling to the spiritual path. Like you, you can just keep expanding and raising your consciousness and becoming, there's no end to love. You know, you can be becoming more loving toward yourself, more loving towards others. So there's always room to grow. But I think in the village sense, it's like you do your initiation, you cut your ties with your your trauma, you you learn who you are, you connect to, you have a divine awakening. And then your goal is to live your life. And people do do works with Iboga and Bwiti for situations as they arise, suffering as they arise. So it's like you get initiated, but you never stop taking Iboga. You, you keep getting more healing. You keep showing up. You keep dancing. You keep praying. And so I think if if someone is feeling like they're holding so so much suffering that it's impairing their functioning, like their capacity to be connected to others, their capacity to express their gift, then there's more significant healing that needs needs to happen. But it doesn't need to happen all at once. And part of the beauty of the healing path is like, and consciousness is to like be with each layer, each step of the way as you're learning and unlearning you know, the things that keep us small, the the fear, the self-doubt, the shame, like in bringing that back through awareness, there's no, there's no shortcut, you know, in a sense. So we have to kind of go through each, each step of, of the path of what wants to come through us in a healing process. And so that can be done in, in so many different ways. But I, I think what we do need is we, we do need tribe. We do need that connection we do need multiple healers and and sources of wisdom in our life to to bring that reflection and to bring us forward because you can't really get there just by navel gazing for for years on end i mean we do we do need those reflections and those teachers and so yeah i think the universe gives us initiations whether we want them or not and so it's our opportunity to to lean in and embrace them and the temptation is to numb out to disconnect to go into addiction to to just want to get out of suffering you know want to stop the suffering and that's that's important too but i think we can can lean in and let our pain be our teacher let our pain bring be the thing that like um brings us inward and i think you talked about with your own experience, um, I don't want to just be self-absorbed and like in my pain and my, you know, my, my body process. But I think when, when there is pain, that's what we need. We need like pain needs tending to, it needs tender attention. And 
if the pain continues for a long time, it can feel like, am I just like, you know, focusing on myself too much, but something that needs mending needs attention and needs time and needs tenderness. So it won't help the situation to try to skip, skip over it or, you know, just numb it out or pretend like it's not there because of a more altruistic desire or something. So, well, and, and all of the, all of the teachers in my life tell me the same thing, which is the patience (laughs) piece. You know, Mm -hmm. I love this poem by Hafiz. I say it a lot. Don't surrender your loneliness so quick. Let it cut more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Something is missing in my heart tonight. Has my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need for God absolutely clear. Mm. And, And I think that when you talk about how medication may be, it's not an either or thing. Medication may be part of that process. There may be a time when it is so intense. And this is medication with like a good psychiatric support. You know, a psychiatrist who ideally has some connection to these other modalities to plant medicine themselves. But I guess the point is, is it's like it takes as it, I guess the answer to my question is it takes as long as it takes and that it's okay. It's okay to, with the same intention and wisdom that you would put into a plant medicine experience, to choose to take a breather with the right kind of support, whether that is stabilizing your life by limiting your involvement in certain things or whether that's a kind of medication that can be supportive for a certain period of time. If that's done not as an escape, but as a sort of wise choice that, okay, as you said, when the intensity is so in, so strong for so long, it can have adverse effects on the nervous system. You know, maybe the need to have these transformative experiences be so intense is the same clinging to the fireworks of the visual component of psychedelics. It's the same epic story that leans people into the conspirituality space with psychedelics. It must be so intense. I must be the hero that conquers it. And it, you know, there's an ego directedness to that work. When yeah. I think an alternative to that is patience. And as Alan Watts says, a no fuss spirituality, getting out of the black and white thinking, which black and white thinking is absolutely a, a symptom of a traumatic childhood that really leads mm-hmm. you to black and white thinking. Totally. So get out of the black and white thinking and say, okay, I am in this experience. It will last as long as it lasts. And the last piece of this for me that I've been thinking about is I've had this perspective like I need to heal and then serve. My healing is self-absorbed and I'm ashamed of that, which is one of my buttons. I'm ashamed that I'm self-absorbed. And if I can only shake this trauma out of my body, I can be of service. Well, what if part of passing through this portal is to do the service now? You know, yeah. everybody, everybody is having a hard time. And so many of us in our isolated experiences are like, God, this is really hard for me. But you call any of your friends to tell them how hard it is, and they're going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going through it too, you know? So finding those community threads through leaning into the service piece while saying, yeah, 
it's an initiation that's happening to me by life. And I don't get to say, okay, it's January 31st, February starts and I'm back in the game. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's not the way these things work. Yeah, I think it's about bringing who we are, where we are to, to be of service. And we're, you're never like fully healed or prepared to, to do something, especially to like step into your mission. Like, I don't think you could think of a hero's journey where anybody was like, you know, felt 100% ready to step into the fullness of, of the, what they're here to do. And especially in this world with healing and psychedelics and plant medicine, I think if, to me, even right now, I mean, you're in this moment with the conversation that we're having, you're, you're, t- you're taking your present moment pain and feeling of maybe not readiness or not enoughness or, you know, with what's, what's going on with you and folding it into a gift and something that can be connected with and be utilized by, by people. So I think it's a beautiful opportunity with, with what's going on now and to, to kind of bring our experience together with um, what's happening on the planet, with what's happening, with what we need like to heal collectively. And I, I wanted to jump back to something you're saying about the, the medication. I think if people are thinking that way, there's sort of a nice way to think about it in the sense of, is my mind, is my suffering like so much that I, I can't slow it down? I can't get out of it. I can't, is it, is it overtaking me? Is it something that is pushing me past my capacity to, to really function or, or show up in a good way in my life? And in that case, I've seen things like lithium or antidepressants help people get their, their mind back so they can actually like think clearly and regain a sense of, of grounding. So I think there's, there's space and place for all of it at the table of personal growth and transformation and, and healing. So as we come to the end of our conversation today, we've been talking about a kind of messy spiritual emergence. And that's been how it's felt for me for a while. That's how it feels like the world is right now. I have many conversations with folks who are on a plant medicine or healing path who are like, ugh, when does the work end? What do I do? You know, mm-hmm. We've talked about medication with the right psychiatric evaluation and with an understanding of the not either or way that it fits into the continuing excavation of of trauma and things that need to be moved through your system. What are some other ways that we can bring refuge and solace and support to people who are trying to do this work who are just really suffering right now? People who are stuck in their apartments in the in snowy weather, losing jobs, people whose external circumstances are putting even more of a pressure on them. What are some techniques beyond, say, plant medicine or medication? What are some ways to be with the process that is happening globally and, and with so many people right now around the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now it's, of course, so challenging. And I think the opportunity is to, how do we find joy? Like, what what can we do when we're on our own, if we're feeling disconnected, to access exercises or activities or things that can bring us to, back to a sense of just feeling good? For me, I love I love to dance. Like, to me, dance can almost transmute or move through any kind of 
heaviness that I may be feeling, just fully liberated dance, like a, being self-expressed in my body and allowing my body to come back to feeling feeling good and kind of taking on whatever I'm holding and actually like moving it through my body in a way that I'm visualizing that energy or that stuckness or that loneliness or that pain being expressed through through me. And I find that that really frees up the mind and creates like a, a dramatic kind of shift. And I definitely believe we don't dance enough as a as a culture, as a planet. And that's one of the reasons why I love I love Buiti so much, because of the central aspect of dance and healing. And yeah, I think mo- movement is just an incredible tool and to do it in a way that's not prescribed or overly regimented, but in a way that people are able to use a, a time where they can move freely and come out of a sense of shame or giving a shit how they look and allowing the breath and sound to come through the body to allow the body to be an instrument to like heal itself. Because there's so so much heaviness right now in the collective and also personally for so many people that the energy just needs to move. It, it, it's not something you can like mentalize your way out of because it's so the, the magnitude of it is so great what we're going through. I think connection is also so critical. We can only feel so connected through, you know, Zoom meetings and things like that. But even you reaching out to me, you know, just small, small ways of feeling connected with people that we can be vulnerable and really share the shit, you know, like how, how bad things are or be authentic with, with really what's going on with our experience, I think can be really life-giving and nourishing for people. I also think because of the the quarantine, one of the really um, problematic effects is just our exposure to nature and sunlight. I've had myself and a lot of friends are just finding like we need more more sunlight, you know, more sunbathing, more um, getting our feet back in the dirt, getting connected to the earth because we're on devices much more, on Zoom meetings much more, like in our little boxes. And so just spending more time outside, more time in nature, more time in the natural elements and Nature heals. Nature heals us. Nature consoles us. Nature reconnects us. It speaks to us. So we're going through a, a deep transformational process right now. So it's a time to really spend time with the mother, with the mother earth, and allow allow that to be a source of consolation and remembering for us. And um, I think play, I think play, creativity, if we can access these in our own ways, in, in the myriad of ways that people can enjoy connecting to play. I think like Man's Search for Meaning, you know, Victor, Victor Frankl or the movie Life is Beautiful, you know, like how, how in the middle of a Holocaust do you access joy and silliness and, and play? I think that's the, the opportunity that, that we have. I love, there's quite a few integration groups and psychedelic groups that are popping up like regionally blossoming, growing like mushrooms really rapidly. So I think if people need tribe around the intersection of healing and psychedelics, there's so many great opportunities. Let's pause on that for a moment. Can we direct our listeners to some specific resources? And I can put those in the show notes. Do you have anything available in terms of like integration groups or communities or resources that might be of service to people? Yeah, I would say there's a few threads in in terms of like finding an individual practitioner or support. I really like the maps integration list. And then there's a, another, yeah, they have like an integration provider directory that has people of all different disciplines, like 
naturopaths, yoga teachers, coaches that are all savvy to work in consciousness and healing and psychedelics. There's a really good website. It's um, psychedelic support, psychedelic.support. And they have networks like that, kind of like the map site of, you can look up regionally or even by zip code and find people that are practitioners or coaches or integration specialists that are in, in an area. And I, I just popped on the website now and I saw they have a, a tab for community groups on psychedelic.support. So that's a, a way to find like local community groups. I'm in Los Angeles, so I know more about what's happening here. I really like the Aware Project, which you know started by Ashley Booth and has integration circles and workshops and lectures. There's another one called Psychedelia in LA, which is started by a friend, Cherie Gadassi, and she does a lot of groups, integration groups, education. I think even on Facebook, there's now like by city or by state, there's like psychedelic groups of people that are getting together, sharing stories, sharing resources. So I think those are just some kind of simple places I like to direct people towards. And for our listeners who have enjoyed everything you've had to share today, how can folks follow you, catch up with you? Where Where is your work present in the world for people to track as they proceed in their psychedelic experiences? So I have a personal website, which is, is my name.com, josephbarsulia.com. And I do integration work with people. I'm doing less like one-on-one uh, coaching with people. And I'm actually working more into building spaces and places. So I'm working with a couple companies, one investment company, one um, startup company. And with my partner, we're build, working on building a center for kind of exactly what we're talking about, which is like building In Portugal. A, yeah. 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 We'll see it. We'll see. It. We're kind of in the mid process. So we'll see if it fully comes through, but we're in the middle of it with the architects. And this is a tangent, but one of my favorite authors is Freddie Silva. And he studied all the initiatory rites, like in Egypt and the mystery schools. And it's kind of like he has a book called The Lost Art of Resurrection. And it's all about how the mystery schools, whether it's like the Knights Templar, the Rosicrucians, the ancient Egyptian rites, they all had this kind of out-of-body initiatory experience. And he designed sacred sites, so we consulted with him on our land design for our center to use different geometric alignments on the land and different alignments of like the cardinal directions of like where do we put the beds or where do we put the opening to the temple or where do we use water, where do we use fire to, to create kind of like the ultimate womb space for for awakening and initiating, you know, types of experiences. So Trisha and I, you know, she's my romantic partner. We we may or we not have we we may or we may not have a baby, but the center is kind of our, our baby for now of, you know, putting our love and our experience into creating a sacred space. So the name of that project is is Hugh. And so we'll know in about six to eight months if it's gonna get approved to come through. But that's that's what I'm working on now. And then I, I still consult and do research on Ibogaine 5-MeO. But if, if people want to contact me, um, my website has like a contact form. I'd be happy to help people however I can. Well, you certainly helped me, Joseph. Seriously, like our conversation yesterday brought a lot of confidence to me. 
and also helped me understand that some of the things that I've been doing right now are really helping. Like with my exercise, like my I've gotten my diet has gotten super clean. I'm running every day, and just you know, I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to take this path of medication. I'm. It's been an intense ride, and I'm still kind of seeing. And I want to develop a relationship with this psychiatrist here, and so we'll see how that goes. But you know, I'm trying to quiet things down. Mm-hmm. And um, and still be with the experience, but what you really gave to me, you and others have supported me with this. But specifically, our conversation yesterday was to get out of the black and white thinking, get out of the mm-hmm. absolute. I gotta get through this transformation through white knuckling it through as much suffering. If I just feel, if I just suffer enough, I'll pop out the other side in full mm-hmm. Christ consciousness or whatever it is. And that's not how it works, you know. I do feel like I'm in an initiatory season of my life, and I think great riches will come out of staying with integrity, and it will allow me to be more of service to others because I'll understand more deeply their experiences and where they came from, and I'm very clear on that. But I really appreciate, it, both in this conversation and in our one-on-one yesterday, the way you helped me just kind of like slow this down mm-hmm. and recognize that you know I am concurrently integrating and I am flourishing, mm-hmm. and I am getting healthier, and I am working on powerful creative projects, and and I'm yes. still showing up to serve people vis-a-vis this podcast and other things that I do. So I'm grateful to you, and thank you for being so generous with your time and insight for our listeners today. And yeah, I really appreciate you, and 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 I really really value the space you hold in this psychedelic movement. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, it's an honor and a joy to to support you, and I think your path is like I think archetypal for so many people too what what's happening right now in the collective and i love um what you're bringing forward your the world needs your medicine so (laughs) keep it keep it coming okay keep keep the medicine coming well thank you joseph it's been a pleasure thank you aaron my honor thank you for joining us for life is a festival If you like the show, you can support it by sharing it with your friends, following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival, and I'll see you on the dance floor. That was great. Awesome. Yeah, I felt really good Thank about you. that. Yeah. Do you feel like we missed anything? I don't think so. No. I had some like cognitive brain farts because I'm like early in the morning. So I felt a little bit like kind of like I wasn't able to be as snappy as I'd like, but I felt good about it. I think I liked everything we covered. And yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, I haven't heard many conversations like this bridging this. So I think it's a, uh, be a good gift, I think, for the community. Yeah, I'm. I'm really trying. I'm really trying to look at like healthy skepticism in certain things, like trying to get out of the. You know, like we're talking about black and white thinking, and I just did that podcast with Eric Davis about conspirituality and QAnon. That I think is, you know, I got a lot of feedback that that was really in service to people, and I feel like this is kind of a good follow up to that. And mm-hmm. yeah, just providing some contrast in the sort of like 
everything's rainbows, psychedelic renaissance, we're all healing and it hurts, but who cares? And the kind of like, well, and you know, let's be in balance. So trying to offer some balance and some joy. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. No, I think it's really effective on that that front. And <clears throat> I, yeah, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about the dance of like with medication too. And yeah, I see I see a lot of people do kind of what you're doing is like you find the psychedelics work, so you feel you just kind of keep having to like hammer the trauma out through it but it's it's can be like a masochistic overly masculine imbalance of just pushing too much and i think it's an opportunity to come like you said in the beginning when we started talking like just like the i'm okay the knowing that the, the self-validation of knowing that you're right where you need to be and you can be with the process and you don't have to try to get to the other side too fast because that's where people can get fucked up if you're too aggressive with the work. And I, I do see that quite a bit. So yeah, I think now too, with what's happening on the planet, everyone is, I see so much polarity and dichotomy with whether it's politics or opinions or stances and a lot in the psychedelic community, like the psychedelics are going to save, save everything and make everything great. And it's, it's a lot more complex than that. Well, and especially for us who've been in it for a while, we need to be really clear on our messaging to the scores of people who are just getting started. That, you know, this kind of Pollyanna psychedelic essentialism is potentially dangerous if we don't have the resources to support the healing of all these new people coming in. And then there's all these new businesses, some of which run by people who've never done psychedelics. There's a lot of work on the shoulders of people. And I don't even mean me. I mean, I've been in this. I've I've been serious about psychedelics for ten years. I've been in in you know plant medicine ceremony for about six years. So I'm I'm a baby too, you know. But like we need eldership. So thanks for coming, taking bro. care of me. Thanks for being on my podcast twice, three times, and now connect me with all your elders. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, man. We're in the same uh, same mission, same heart. So yeah, I'm grateful. Thank you. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye bye.